Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Alison Rudd, standing in for Gabriel Marcotti. This week, I'm joined by my favourite Times writers, Tom Dart, James Ducker and Matthew Syed. Today, we'll discuss what happened at Eastlands and whether Liverpool have begun their fight back after defeating what has to be said was a poor oversight. Plus, it's been a turbulent few weeks for the game. We'll be debating whether football still has any morals. OK, so what, what on earth happened at Eastlands? 3-0 victory by Arsenal... Arsene Wenger says we can win the title. This is a turning point. Team seems to have grit away from home. But does it really mean anything when Manchester City were, were down to um, 10 men for, for the vast bulk of the match? Um, I'll, go, I'll go first to Matthew because I think you, you felt it was sort of a bit of a shame and no conclusions can be drawn. Is that, is that right, Matthew? Yeah, I think it's difficult to draw any legitimate conclusions because of the sending off. I thought the sending off was justified. I thought the referee got it right. Um, but what would have been a fascinating uh, encounter and a, and a really good opportunity to measure the relative merits of, of two very good teams, it was spoiled, really, I think, for, for the neutral. Arsenal pressed home to advantage well, always going to be able to exploit one man down with their passing. Fabregas, as ever, the weighted through passes that he made were symptomatic of one of the true geniuses of uh, the Premier League. I thought Nasri was good as well, but I, I actually thought Manchester City were very good with 10 men. They, they rather surprisingly didn't lose um, their attacking intent, which, which surprised me. I thought they'd be more organised and more defensive, but I thought they were resilient. And uh, I, I don't think it necessarily means that Manchester City are any less of a threat this season than we thought before the match. James, did you did you feel we learnt more about Arsenal and more about Manchester City in that? Uh, I don't think we really, we really learned a great deal about uh, about Arsenal. To be honest, uh, I, I agree entirely, really, with with what Matthew said. It's very, very difficult to 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 kind of judge in what kind of direction these these two teams are headed when when one one of the one of the teams plays for eighty five minutes with ten men and and, and the other doesn't. Um, I mean, I, I I would go back to the two performances um, against Chelsea that these teams have made. Man- Manchester City equipped themselves fantastically, um, proved that they were organised, well drilled. Um, you know, the quality when they needed it. Whereas Arsenal just imploded against Chelsea, and, and I mean, I, I I certainly think Arsenal are getting better. Dealing with certain things, but um, I still think that I still think there's some way off. Um, certainly, some way off being able to challenge um, Chelsea for the for the title. I think the other thing as well is is you know City City played most of the second half without Carlos Tevez. Now he he, he scored I think 36 goals in 54 Premier League games for them. Um, you know, and and they, they haven't struck upon a formula when he's not there. Um, 
that you know enables them to win. I mean, I know Adebayor scored a hat trick in um, in midweek, but you know he he's seriously flattered to deceive in the, in the league for City. Um, and I think when they lose that kind of that focal point that that Tevez provides. Um, they occasionally um, look, look short of ideas. I mean, obviously, it's nice to see Bale, Baleatelli coming on. I think he will make a difference uh, difference to them. But so you know, you, you kind of you're looking at looking at all those things and weighing all those things up. Um, you know, I, I don't think City City did, did too badly really. And, and three light three nil was probably probably an unfair unfair reflection. Tom, let's let's go back to Arsenal. Being very nice about Manchester City. Um, Nasri had a great game. Does this mean that Arsenal are not a one-man team anymore? Because, it, you know, although Fabregas played well, I think most plaudits went to Nasri. Is he coming of age? Can Arsenal afford to have Fabregas injured again? Did it, did it mean something in those terms, at least for Arsenal? I think Nasri's getting better and better, and uh, he's really picking up the slack. Arshavin has been a bit disappointing this season. I know Arsene Wenger said last week that uh, Arshavin creates more chances than any other Premier League player. Uh, so far this season but for me he's been disappointing and uh, to have Nasri looking so bright and lively and uh, standing up to the physical challenge creating uh, as he did in fits and spurts last season he should only get better at at, uh, his young age so uh, I think it's very positive and Nasri plus Fabregas uh, is is formidable Can we just go round the panel Shamak versus Bentner I mean Bentner comes on he's been out with a groin injury while he's been out, he's been getting more negative press than if he'd been actually playing. It's as though his reputation has deteriorated while the poor bloke's been in, on the treatment table. And he looks like a natural striker, whereas Chamat looks a little bit clumsy. Who, who, who ultimately, when they're both, both fit, should, fully fit, should be the first choice striker, do you think, Matthew? I think it's difficult to say, actually, which I, I know is a bit of fence-sitting. I, I, I rather admire Bentner. And I know that he isn't short of uh, self-confidence um, and he's quite quick to articulate it. I thought he took the third goal very well yesterday. Um, and I think somebody as canny as, as Wenger will probably play with both before he comes up with a definitive view as to who is a better player. James? Uh, I think, um, you know, Schumacher's uh, only you know, two and a half months into his, into his first season um, uh, in England, so it'd be a little bit, a little bit harsh to draw, you know, too many definitive kind of conclusions. I think I'd like to, like to kind of, you know, see how he how he copes over the season as a whole. Uh, I mean, Bentner has, I mean, there are times when he's looked absolutely terrific, but he kind of, he just has this remarkable ability to kind of, you know, be sublime on occasion and utterly ridiculous on, on others and um, I think um, I think you know I mean he's certainly got the talent I mean you can understand why Wenger's persisted with him and um, you know I certainly I certainly think he's worth um, you know he's worth kind of giving another go but it'd just, just, it'd just be nice to see some consistency uh, from him but obviously you know, Wenger's now got a dilemma as to whether he, he, he opts to, to play them in tandem or or, or or stick with stick with one up, and then obviously when you know Van Persie comes, I mean I think the big one, the big one is for Van Persie to come back as as, as kind of as capable as Bentner or Shamak might be on the day. I think um, I think they both uh, both uh, uh, are inferior to uh, to Van Persie. Tom, what what should Wenger do with his strikers? 
I think Chimak's got far more potential than Bentner. Bentner looks good against average opponents when it comes to real top quality defenders. He, he goes missing, misses quite a few chances. Uh, okay, he'll score against a ten man opponent. He'll when the when there's no pressure when Arsenal are going to win anyway. But uh, I wouldn't trust him for the really big games. I don't think his uh, movement's uh, intelligent enough, and I don't think his uh, accuracy, his shot accuracy, is quite good enough either. I think. Chamak is good in the air, uh, good movement, uh, all round, huge amount of potential. I think he's uh, got a, a lot more upside than uh, Bentner. Right. Well, um, we, no arguments about the uh, the sending off. Although I I have to say, I think if you watched it closely, um, it was probably a yellow card, not a red, because I don't think it was a clear goal scoring opportunity. But then I like to throw in my all when it comes to the refereeing decisions. <laughs> Moving on to. Liverpool's victory at Anfield. I was there. I have my bottled water with pictures of Jamie Carragher and Stevie G on it uh, with me to prove that I was there and I will be keeping that bottle of water for a very long time. It's rather attractive, actually. Um, It was interesting. In the press room after the game, there was an awful lot of head scratching. Um, People who were there to analyse, write reports, they didn't know what to conclude. Obviously, there was an overwhelming temptation to say... Liverpool have turned the corner, Roy's gotten playing decent football, but Blackburn Rovers were really rather pitiful, particularly for the first 45 minutes. Um, and I just wondered, I mean, and Liverpool are still in the bottom three, they need to score at least three or four more goals to, to overtake Blackburn on goal difference. And I think probably if they'd got out the bottom three on the day, bigger conclusions would have been drawn and it would have been um, uh, more fireworks about about the result. But the point, the, I mean, the fact remains, Liverpool did play really well but they're still suffering from what Roy calls we're in, we're in the bottom, we're in a false position and that makes us nervous sometimes. So are any of you chaps able to draw any conclusions from, from a pretty decent victory over poor opponents? Tom? Uh, I think Blackburn are pretty ordinary away from home, especially against uh, so-called bigger clubs. Uh, so I think it's far too, too soon. Yeah, Black, Blackburn are the kind of team that uh, Liverpool should be beating with ease at home. Uh, okay, it's encouraging. Has to be encouraging that they played well. That Torres scored. Uh, that has to give them a lift. But we'll see how they do against Bolton uh, this weekend. That's uh, that will be a truer test. And then the week after that comes Chelsea at home, which yeah, I, I want to see how they do in these next two games before pronouncing Roy Hodgson back to his back to his you know managerial guru ways. I think there's a, a long way to go yet before we can say that Liverpool are really going to uh, progress and move up the table to. Uh, the top half, let alone uh, out of the relegation zone. Yeah, I, don't, I, mean, I mean, you know, Raw yesterday, he, he wasn't keen to say the corner's been turned either. And for some reason, he took great exception to the phrase catalyst that we did. He said, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to talk, I don't know what catalysts are, as though it was um, a trap, actually. But I mean, it could be a catalyst, couldn't it, Matthew? It, uh, I think the thing, the, the conclusion that we can really draw is that Roy Hodgson is feeling it. Uh, the close ups of his face when Liverpool squandered chance after chance, and particularly when uh, Blackburn got an almost comic uh, equaliser. It's as if he's having an existential crisis. He's, the agonies of the damned were etched across his face. I mean, managers often, understandably, betray their emotions on the touchline. But Hodgson, who is a sane and rational and reasoned human being, uh, he just seemed to have lost it. And, and some of the comments he's made, I think, are indicative of that. It, it, He's somebody whose uh, knowledge is probably wide enough to know what a catalyst is, but he thinks he's probably <laughs> he's, su- he's suffering a blackout out there. And, you know, he, he is such a seemingly decent man. I don't know him well, 
Um, but I, I almost sort of wish for Liverpool's resurgence just to see Hodgson come back to some kind of emotional equilibrium. He can be a bit moody, though. I remember even last season when Fulham were doing well, he uh, attacked a chair in the dugout at Craven Cottage and gave it a whack when, <laughs> when something went wrong. So I think all managers have got that uh, inherent potential for violence and, and fury, uh, no matter how urbane they might be on the uh, on the outside. James, do you can we think, can we take I anything from that yesterday? I think. That, I think um, I think the only kind of, I mean, they obviously got three points, but I think the big thing was was Torres scoring again. Um, How how people have gone from kind of eulogising him to kind of, you know, berating him, saying he's, you know, he's finished and all this kind of stuff. There's been some seriously kind of heavy criticism of him, which has kind of been knee-jerk in the extreme. I mean, he's patently not been fit. He's clearly, you know... Um, uh, clearly, uh, was was very upset with uh, with how the ownership situation panned out, and obviously until um, until John Henry um, came to Liverpool's rescue. Um, so he's obviously had he's had some. Um, I think he's been in a bit of a sulk, really. But the, uh, uh, with the exception of Drogba, I don't have any other any other striker leading my um, front line. So I think that's going to be the big positive. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of slightly echo what Tom said. I mean, Bolton are unbeaten at home this season. You know, they're eighth in the table. Um, Owen Coyle's fashioning, um, you know, a very solid-looking team. I mean, Christ, even Ewan Elmander scoring again. So, um, I, I could see Liverpool drawing or losing to Bolton next week, and then I don't give them a cat in hell's chance of getting anything against Chelsea the following week. So, we could be in a situation where they might take, you know, a point and still be firmly in the bottom three or four, you know, a fortnight later in, you know, this victory against Blackburn looks um, looks a, a dim and distant memory. So, I think um, I think uh, I mean we'll, we'll really know till Christmas with, with, with Liverpool. I, they just look so flaky. I mean, I, I look at that. I look at the defence and the kind of midfield in front of them, and it's just you know it is just it's just a shadow of kind of former Liverpool teams. And the problem is, is I mean Kyriakos. Skirtle had pretty decent games yesterday, but but they can be dreadful at, at kind of any point. So um, there's just not there's just not a great deal of backbone in that team. So I don't I don't have a great deal of confidence that uh, this is definitely uh, a, a, a corner turn. But do you do you have confidence that Torres is back? Because I find it slightly no, peculiar I, that he would just because there's a new owner new owner at the club apparently in training in the past week Torres has been looking more sprightly and smiling more. Uh, he was happier on the. I didn't think he looked like his old self at all, but he was happier out on the pitch um, on Sunday. Is this is this because is this just because those new owners or what? Why why do you feel that that? that no, well, I mean, be- I think I think going back to I think he was given certain assurances that that the ownership would definitely be changing a lot sooner than, than it ended up doing, which was one of the reasons why he agreed to stay on in the first place. Um, and obviously that failed to materialise, and he probably, you know, felt he'd been sold, sold a dummy. So, um, you know, and look, I mean, he's just won. He's won the European Championship, and he's won the World and the World Cup with Spain. The guy wants to be winning the kind of big trophies, and he, you know, is probably thinking, did I make the right decision staying at Liverpool in the summer because they look further away from being able to win silverware than they ever have? So. You know, I mean, I, I just think he might have been made 
he, 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 he's probably given certain assurances that, that weren't met. Uh, it's only now as we approach November that, um, that, that there's been a change. But, you know, I mean, you know, what's he going to win at Liverpool this season? I mean, I certainly think that that's why, you know, there's still going to be a hell of a lot of debate about his futures, you know, as to whether he, he'll still be a Liverpool player next season. Maybe that's why his picture's not on the Liverpool FC official bottled water. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Matthew, do you, do you buy it? Do you buy that now? I mean, you, you Matthew, you have studied in your book bounce you have studied why people make it what makes them special in sport do you buy into this thing that players actually are going to be that Liverpool players are going to be playing better and have a, a spring in their step because the ownership debacle has been resolved it's an interesting question I mean I certainly think that the equilibrium of a of a sportsman can be rather fragile and certain outside influence can have an effect on it I would be astonished if, uh, however, if, if the reason for Torres underperforming is because of his concern over the ownership issue and now it's been resolved, he's going to start playing well again. I think it just could be another explanation. He had a temporary and rather inexplicable loss of form. I agree with James. He's a rather wonderful player. And you can see that across, if you take you know, his entire career in context. But no, I, I mean, if it is the ownership issue, that has been his problem, then I, I think that really is a, a worry. And I think it means that his psychology is rather too fragile. There could be a lot. There could be a multitude. It doesn't have to be one set reason, does it? I mean, I think there'll be a multitude of mm. reasons. Also, got to remember, Alison, he's playing with a lot of dirge. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, you, Jovanovic, you know, the Rodriguez, I mean, Joe Cole, I mean, you know, the, they've all been very poor, you know, and he's, and the, the kind of, Lucas Poulsen is a shadow of the of the Mascherano Alonso axis. So he's got Steven Gerrard behind him, and he hasn't got a great deal else around him. So that that's clearly going to, you know, I mean, uh, you know, put Drogba in that team, and you know, he's still, you know, he, he, uh, you know, on form, he'll still obviously be very good, but he won't be nearly as potent as he is for Chelsea. Tom, where will Liverpool finish this season? Tenth. Okay, <laughs> and we'll end it there. Maybe ninth, you know. Let's let's be optimistic. Okay, this is not this is not Radio Four, but we are going to discuss a moral maze. Who cares most about football? It has been an ugly few weeks in in the game, where the intentions of Wayne Rooney and his agent have been called into question, where Portsmouth have been held to ransom, and where Paul Gascoigne and Andy Carroll have been arrested throw in aggressive masked fans at Rooney Towers, Liverpool's takeover saga, stabbings in Italy and the bribery scandal at FIFA, could the game have lost all its morals? So, who cares most about the game? The FA, agents, the clubs, the players, the fans or the media? Can any of these groups see themselves as moral guardians of football? And where's the game going? How can it be saved? There's quite a lot to answer there, but Tom... Go on then. What's wrong with the game and how can we make it better? I, I don't know if you can uh, lose your morals if you never had them in the first place. Maybe you could go back to the Victorian era where there was a Corinthian spirit, perhaps pre-professionalism, but once money creeps into the game and when the game gets ever bigger, then there'll be uh, people will obviously be uh, motivated by selfishness and, uh, and greed, you know, all these human failings, which will take priority uh, above uh, above a sense of solidarity and... Uh, and uh, and ethical considerations. Uh, the biggest, uh, you, you can't blame agents, clubs, players for looking after their own interests. That, that's only natural. It's just a shame that the FA aren't stronger guardians of the game and appear to have uh, 
let the Premier League take the upper hand in regulation to such an extent that uh, the FA have very little power or inclination, it seems, to actually uh, do what's in the game's best interest and stop money and rampant commercialism from completely eroding uh, the values which we all uh, want football to have of spirit, you know, fair play, equality um, and positivity. And positive, uh, positivity. It's just a... I don't blame Rooney for for taking the money. Why? Why? Why wouldn't he? When in, in the climate, ah, ah, uh, but he's not. It's not. It's not like someone just came up to Rooney while he was sat at his at his desk, uh, looking through through all the broadsheets and, and assessing the the current financial parlor state of the economy and wondering what he might help do to help. He 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 went out of his way to engineer more money. That's there's a difference between saying I don't blame someone for taking an improved contract and say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Someone manipulating... The, the fans at, of, of various clubs well, uh, and his own manager and his own teammates to get it, isn't that, it? That, that's par for the course these days, isn't it? Every transfer or every contract becomes a saga played out through the media with uh, everyone having their say, negotiations, brinkmanship. It's just, uh, it's just the way things happen these days to eke out that extra 30 or 40 or 50 grand a week that uh, Rooney so desperately needs. Matthew, do I- it sounds to me like Tom's quite fatalistic and you you can't have morals where there's money. Is he right? No, I disagree uh, entirely with, with Tom on that. I, I mean, you just have to look at um, the attempted experiment in communism, if I can bring a political analogy in, to see that when you abolish differentials in money, corruption just re-establishes itself in a different form. Human nature is selfish and people are self-interested. Uh, we are often at base rather greedy um, it's a pretty natural human impulse. And football in the pre-professional era, there was corruption. You only have to look at the early years of the International Olympic Committee when it was managed and governed under an ethos of amateurism to see that official corruption and dubiousness and cheating amongst athletes was pretty much the same. It's a constant theme of humanity. I mean, ju- just to turn Tom's argument on its head, if you look at the most recent cricket scandal where... Uh, Pakistani players are alleged to have spot-fixed particular matches. The argument was entirely inverted. People said that the Pakistani players were prepared to cheat in order to make more money because they weren't earning enough legitimately from the game. 
So, I mean, I disagreed with that argument too. I, I don't think it's an issue of money. It's just an issue of human self-interest. Where, where I take issue with Rooney isn't in his deciding to try and earn as much as he possibly can. That's something that all of us tend to do. What I didn't like, and Tom alluded to it, was he did it in a hypocritical way. He tried to dress up his mercenary tendencies in the sort of garb of high principle. And that's something that happens a lot because the central mythology of football, of course, is that it's supported by partisans, bankrolled by fans who care about the clubs in a way that sort of extends beyond uh, financial self-interest. But it is played by and run by mercenaries. Um, but I, I think that the selfishness and the corruption and all of those things that exists in in rugby, exists in cricket, it exists in all sorts of other sports. The reason football gets it in the neck is it's just so much more big, much bigger, and people have so much more interest in it. Oh, James, step in. Who, who, yeah. Which side well, of the fence I mean, are you on? I, I, having written thirteen thousand words last week in this whole sordid saga, uh, I'll, I'll kind of start with Rooney. But the one thing I will say is that. As, as horrendous as the whole thing is, I still don't think it equates to the greed that the bankers exhibited. You know, bringing this kind of country to its knees. I think uh, I think they take greed to a whole new level. And and I certainly think you know there is still a place for you know morals where money's concerned. I mean, look at Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. I mean, they got more money than than anyone, and they still uh, they still. Uh, 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 believe morality is very, very important, and the 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 proof that you can you can have both. But I mean, on Rooney, um, to to drag to kind of subject uh, uh, not not just the club to subject subject a manager like Sir Alex Ferguson, who is bent over backwards for for, for that player time and again. Um, in his private life, I mean, obviously there have been the the, the uh, prostitute allegations, um, you know, now, but there were obviously before. But he's had a lot of other personal issues that haven't kind of come to light. He's bent over backwards for him at that club, and I, I think when you when you de- make a decision that you want to leave a club like Manchester United and leave behind a manager like Sir Alex Ferguson, you have to think very, very long and hard about it. And when you go to them and say, I want to leave, then you stick by that decision. Because, you know, Rooney's well aware that he's playing for the most high-profile club. He's a, he's, a, he's the world best, or certainly the biggest footballer in England. And he's playing for the most famous manager around. So he knew he knew the slew of headlines he was going to invite. And so you kind of, you go into that. Anyone that was half decent, you know, a bit of decency anyway would would stick by their decision having thought long and hard about it. So, Jay, I mean, James, do you... To, 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 to drag the club through what he did and then turn around and pocket, you know, £200,000 a week, I just found it absolutely disgusting. Do you, do you believe, James, that... Do you, do you actually believe that Rooney really wanted to leave United? Well, so just well, a ruse to up, well, up, up his salary because he didn't feel he was going to get enough well, in, in the uh, renegotiation? What, 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 what... I mean, I think, obviously, money's a huge thing, but... He didn't. The, the initial offer that United were making, which was w- w- a basic of well, of well north of one hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week, apparently Rooney and, and his agent didn't even look at that offer. They didn't even want to counter, countenance it because they were they were saying, "I'm going, I'm gone," which kind of gives some. And, and that's kind of come from the United, the United side, which had um, which I believe far more than the uh, than the Rooney side. Um, 
and that kind of gives some credence to thought. Well, maybe maybe Rooney's looked at the squad, doesn't think it's very good. Looked at the fact that United aren't buying big name players and spending a lot of money, and also is wondering if the manager's still going to be there in twelve eighteen months' time. Is thinking, do I really want to sign up for this for five years? On the flip side, um, you know, has his agent thought, you know, I can make a I can make a killing here if he if he joins. Manchester City or whatever, I'll get a big slice of a transfer fee. Uh, we'll get you'll get a lot more wages. When I'll be happy, we'll get a lot more wages um, and go from there. I mean, I think money's been a massive factor. I certainly think you know Rooney's looked at the squad and and that it plays the part of his thinking. I certainly don't think it's the main reason which he um, which he which he you know claimed it was. Um, can, can I, uh, James? Can I just is it okay to just pick up on a couple of? the point you yeah, made yeah, yeah. But for a moment because they're very interesting points I mean firstly on the Bill Gates and I totally acknowledge what you're saying he devotes a great deal of his personal wealth to charity but let's not forget the reason he made so much money is because he was incredibly single-minded in pursuing the profit motive in precisely the same way that Rooney and Stratford have done so presumably we would regard Rooney as a pretty decent chap if he maximised his own income by taking money from the club but then donated it to the third world so in, th- in that case we should sort of reserve judgment and see what Rooney does with his windfall like, I-, I-, I guess but-, but the other thing you mentioned his lack of loyalty to Ferguson but are we to believe that the reason Ferguson helped Rooney out of his troubles in his private life and over prostitution was out of the kindness of Ferguson's heart or would we rather believe, is it not more realistic to believe, that the reason Ferguson bent over backwards is because he knew he had an asset who he could exploit for the further success of Manchester United and his reputation? In other words, Roy Keane was right about this. If Ferguson thought Rooney was something less than a very good player, he would have sold him. He would have been perfectly happy to have left him out to dry. The, the idea that there is some... Uh, uh, some altruism in Ferguson's behaviour. W- wouldn't you agree, James? That's slightly unrealistic. Uh, well, the, the one, the, the difference I think often with United and Ferguson uh, is that the probably the last, the probably the last club really where you get players staying for a very long period of time. I'm not just talking like in three or four years. You get a lot of players. Who stay there for eight, ten, twelve years? Or in in the case, obviously, Giggs and Scholes and Neville, it's you know it's like twenty odd years. And you know, you speak to so many of his former players, even some of those that you know that were big names and towards the end of the career, he kind of ruthlessly kind of cut off because he um, he uh, decided the, they they weren't good enough. And they all talk so fondly of of him, and not just what the, the, he did for them as players but how he brought them on as people now obviously you know some of them more some of ferguson's players morally you know the past you kind of look at them and thought well he's not done a particularly good job there but i i i do believe that for a lot of his players you know it's more than just you know kind of exploiting them because they're assets and that kind of thing i think he has a genuine kind of a genuine kind of interest in how they develop as people. So, if, and if, if, then, it would have been in Wayne Rooney's best interest to stay at a club that knows how to look after players, and, and you're right, James, it has a good track record on that. Let me ask Tom this. Does that mean agent, agents are at fault because they have, they, have, they have no moral 
framework for operation is purely commission. They're not considering, they do not consider this this boy I represent, this young man I represent, his his mental health, his career, his happiness in life and all that goes with having a good life and a good career, he'd be better off staying with, with, with someone like Alex Ferguson, but doesn't because it's all about his commission. His some agents do think only about the money. Some agents think about uh, the overall welfare of their player. There are some good and some bad, but you've got to look at uh, the player knows himself best and knows his own mind best. If the player's listening to an agent who is only motivated by money, then the player needs to be stronger and realise that the agent's primary interest could could well be selfish and could well be just to get him the best deal. Equally, these days you have a perhaps a culture where money equals respect. Uh, and so although the sums are ridiculously large, perhaps uh, for Rooney it might have been a matter of uh, having parity with the very best players in the world was it would be a status symbol to him more than the actual fact of having a bit, a bit more money in his bank account. Uh, I think it's difficult to generalise about agents. They get a very bad press, but mainly speaking, their job is going to always be what's in their client's best interest. And generally speaking, in a, in a short career where there are opportunities to earn huge amounts of money, that will be the primary focus. And I just think players themselves need to need to think a bit more and be a bit stronger and uh, don't blindly take advice from the agent if, if, if they suspect that the agent is just leading them down a mercenary path. Matthew, are we, are we in cloud cuckoo land thinking that, that players have the maturity to, to think about what their agents might be doing and to, to assess their careers in a more level, level-headed way? Well, I think, I mean, let me just acknowledge totally what Tom and James are saying in one respect. I totally agree that the charade that was perpetrated on fans and upon the public was very distasteful. And I, and I hate the hypocrisy. I think that's, it's legitimate to have a go at that. But yes, these players have very short careers. They are in the ball game of securing their financial future and that of their wider families. Part of it, of course, is about making sure they play for a team where they can get success and that they may be interested in winning lots of trophies and getting personal glory and even when that means they'll be earning slightly less money. But I think, you know, when we say Rooney shouldn't be exclusively interested in money, what we're saying is he should play for Manchester United and earn slightly less perhaps than what he's worth. But remember, this is a transaction, not between Rooney and the fans. It's a transaction between Rooney primarily and a private limited company. And if Rooney plays for less money than he's worth, that just means that Manchester United, the company, uh, will have to make less debt repayments or will take a higher dividend, one or the other or a bit of both. In other words, the purchasing party is also financially self-interest. It's not just Rooney as the selling party that is self-interest. Football is just a branch of modern capitalism, nothing more, nothing less. And the fans are people who are not just normal consumers. You know, we, we support a team not just because the meat pies are particularly tasty or because they play the best football, but because we feel a sense of genuine identity. But the fans, if you like, are the, uh, you know, are, are the are the outliers in all this. Every other party in football is in it for essentially more than anything else for the money. Well, the, in, the, the truly incredible bit is that Wayne Rooney is paid probably, it seems, 200 grand a week. And I think he's past his best. Okay, it is time for my favourite Times writers to get off the fence and give a straight answer to the week's big stories. I have with me a ceramic hedgehog whistle, which sounds like this. 
which I will blow. Um, sort of girly version of, of Marcotti's um, various musical instruments. Uh, if you babble on too long, Tom, does Avram Grant have what it takes to haul West Ham to the giddy heights of mid-table mediocrity? Uh, I suspect not. Uh, I was at the game on Saturday and West Ham were excellent for the first 20 minutes and abject for the rest of it. The one thing you could say in Avram's favour, he's got great experience of being bottom with Portsmouth last season. So if anyone knows about being last place, then it's uh, Avram. There's just no will, no energy, no drive, no sense that West Ham can change the course of a match through through the manager's tactics and his force of personality because there just doesn't seem to be that, that force there and uh, when the team is borderline relegation quality already you're looking at the manager and uh, he's just not inspiring them that's a no then uh, I fear not James Gary Neville was fortunate indeed not to be sent off against Stoke is he using thuggery to compensate for pace and when on earth will he retire well he was fortunate and he even admitted that himself um, I think it's worth remembering that he's barely played this season it was very very ring rusty uh, and uh, Matthew Edmonton exploited that I, I wouldn't say it's quite uh, thuggery um, he's certainly um, certainly been catching um, a few uh, well a lot more players late, uh, a lot later than he, than he used to do uh, but I mean I think this will be his last season I mean he did think that um, that the, the previous season would be, be his last maybe he's gone on one season too long but you know hey the guy's made 600 appearances for, for United um, he's had some career James is a Gary Neville fan Matthew I heard you on Radio 2 this weekend which is weird because I never ever listened to it so you must be in it all the time if I just happened to tune in for the first time in 20 years and there you are and you were talking about the importance of Mohammed Ali's politics are today's big sports stars scared to hold an opinion? Uh, that's a very interesting question. I mean, there's no doubt at all that Ali symbolised the unhinged radicalism of the 1960s, and he did pronounce on the great and defining political issues of that time. Sportsmen and women today don't really say anything, and there's a good reason for that. They want to earn as much money as possible from big commercial endorsement contracts from multinational companies, and they know that if they say something which alienates some of the consumer base of that multinational, they're not going to get another contract. And so we do have very sanitized, uh, very anemic athletes today. And it's interesting that even Muhammad Ali, he sold his commercial rights for 50 million, but still retains a 20% stake in the, in the holding company. He doesn't say anything anymore. You know, he didn't say anything about the Iraq war, about Obama, about any of the sort of the great defining American political issues of today because he knows that to do so would compromise his earning power. So top sportsmen and women have really become the poster boys and girls of modern... Beautiful answer, but too long. Tom, (laughs) are Newcastle actually happier away from St James's Park? I think they are. They've uh, only picked up four points at home and had a couple of uh, poor results compared to seven away with uh, last Saturday's win over West Ham when they looked excellent. Tyneside and it's a cliche to say it's a pressure cooker and it's uh, a wild atmosphere and the uh, the heat I know it's a terrible cliche but it does appear to be true and uh, last week's rumours surfacing that Chris Hewton was under pressure already uh, just just adds to that impression it seems that Newcastle can't cope with a bit of stability and uh, a bit of you know quiet and a bit of uh, dullness uh, <laughs> and uh, for too long there's got to be some excitement there's got to be some turbulence there otherwise uh, otherwise it's unnatural I think you're right Hooten definitely looks happier when he's doing the press conferences away from Newcastle James will the rumoured player clear out at Old Trafford actually happen this summer uh, yes I mean uh, as I understand it up to 10 players will be shipped out next summer um, 
uh, obviously some of those um, will uh, probably retire like Neville and, and Van der Zaar uh, and others like Hargreaves are out of contract but um, I believe the likes of um, Wes Brown and Michael Carrick will be um, will be bombed by uh, by Lord Ferguson um, and I think he's looking at signing five or six um, six players with Jordan Henderson, Jack Rodwell, um, David Gear, Atletico Madrid goalkeeper, and um, Anders Lindegaard, a Denmark goalkeeper. Um, the, I believe those four players are figuring prominently in his thoughts at the moment. Thank you, Matthew. Roberto Di Matteo was the most pessimistic of all Premier League managers when the season began. Will he really be surprised, though, that West Brom is scaling the heights? I think he'll probably be a bit surprised. Um, I think he surprised a lot of us. They are clearly more organised and have more defensive understanding now than they did previously. But it's always difficult to say at this stage of the season whether their success is temporary or uh, a trend. Oh, that was such a contrast. That was beautifully brief. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, one for you, Alison. Peter Crouch is hardly prolific in the league, so why does Harry Redknapp persist with him? That's a good question, Tom. Um, the, the Spurs fans seem to get on Crouch's back. He, he sort of looks terribly clumsy, he had chances on Saturday against Everton that he did not take, but he has forged a Beauty and the Beast relationship with Van der Vaart, and I think for as long as he gives um, Redknapp the option to play a long ball and somehow in, in his own way uh, Crouch makes it lovely and Van der Vaart has the intelligence to make something of it I think he will persist with them and I think he's correct to do so and Liverpool would have him back in the shop probably they would thanks for your time um, please go to thetimes.co.uk for all the news gossip and analysis you'll need on our web chats including Gab's every Monday that's when he's not off sunning himself <laughs> <laughs>